We love supporting and promoting the creators of musical theater throughout the world. And we would love to have your support as well. Go to musicaltheaterradio.com and click on the Become a Patron button because a supportive community is a strong community. Welcome back to another episode of Be Our Guest here on Musical Theater Radio. I am your host, as always, Jean-Paul Yovanoff. Today, we are going to be speaking with the creator of a number of musicals, including Marion Max and Concrete Jungle, to name a few, both of which we play on the station. So let's learn a little bit more about him and what he's got in the works. It gives me great pleasure to welcome to the show... Bobby Cronin. Bobby, how you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. No problem. It's always great to have you. And thank you. You know, you are one of the first people who allowed their songs on the, the radio station. So I'm... I was honored to be asked. So dedicated. thank you. No problem. So let's find out a little bit about you. Let's delve in. I want to know who Bobby is in 30 seconds. So give us the 30 second bio of Bobby. Wow. Uh... I'm the youngest of five kids from a lower middle class family in suburbs of Boston. We were all athletes. And for some reason, I got the music gene and was putting on shows in my backyard as a little kid. And you know, I never really thought that I would do this for a living. And here I am. It's just I'm so lucky to do the thing that I love to make a living doing it. Perfect. So when you were growing up, were you, were you the, kind of the, the black sheep of the family, the, the, yes. the artsy one? Well, like you were saying, yeah. everybody else was sports. Mm -hmm. How was that? Um, it was challenging. You know, where I grew up, it was a very Irish Catholic town, um, a very working class town as well. And I was really lucky that I had some teachers in school that just saw this ability in me like we couldn't afford piano lessons so i would either go to my friend's house who had a piano i mean we had a piano but it just wasn't encouraged in fact it was discouraged to <laughs> to play it instead i should be out in the backyard shooting hockey pucks um or throwing a football with my brother or something um so it, it, it was very much of a challenge however um I kept getting like the lead in the play. I would write um, skits and songs for different events at my school. And like I won, I'm from a town called Arlington or with the correct accent, Arlington. <laughs> and I won in high school, the Mr. Arlington High School pageant, which was this like fun mock beauty pageant. But like I danced for my talent competition. Wow. And I thought I was going, oh, it was, it was, the sounds that came from the audience were hilarious. But what's really interesting is in the interview portion, I was about to, to answer the question that was asked of me and something that happened a lot growing up, there were these awful insults that were hurled from across the auditorium at me. And I was always someone that just, you know, I just ignored it and just did my thing. And for some reason I saw and this should be for everyone to hear, I saw that I had a platform. Yeah. And so I, instead of answering the question, I scolded the audience. And, and I said, you should really be treating people better than this. I deserve better than this. We all deserve better than this. And I'm now going to answer the question if you will let me. And I did, and I, and I won. And I know that I won because I stood up for myself. Yeah. And so like, that's how I grew up. So. Um, 
I really wanted to, to go to Yale. Like it was something from a little kid that I just was really interested in. I grew up right next to Harvard, so I didn't want to go to a school really close. <laughs> so, because I, I knew I wanted to like learn more about myself in an environment that wasn't sort of looked over by my parents and my siblings. And um, luckily I got into Yale and it just, it changed everything about how I saw my life going. And um, I got into the theater program which I never thought I would. And then I ended up double majoring in theater and music, uh, music theory and composition specifically. And it just continued going from there. But it was, um, you know, I, I, I looked at it as I have an opportunity. I don't want to say to prove people wrong because that's not really what I mean. But it was a driving force for me up to work as hard as I can to show people like, when someone is a little different, that's cool. Let them, let the, not everyone should be the same. What a boring world that would be. So, um, and it's weird that I was telling you earlier, I did my first live performance um, a couple of nights ago. And where I, in Maine is about mm, an hour and 15 minutes from where I grew up. And there were people from my childhood that were there that saw that I was doing this thing and they came and I was like, I haven't seen you since high school. This is crazy. And one of them was like, you did it. You, you did exactly what you said you were going to do. And I was like, I guess I did. <laughs> I mean, I'm certainly not finished. I have a lot more that I would like to accomplish in this world, but yeah, I guess, you know, I have the drive nice. to, and I get, I, it's, I teach as well. And it's something that I tell my students a lot is that, that, People aren't always gonna be nice to you, but take that and use it for your work. Yeah. Either use it for your drive or use it for what type of stories you wanna tell, that type of thing. Yeah, high school can be just the worst at times. Exactly. And, and then, and, and the, such the difference, and you probably saw the difference going from the high school to Yale, where everybody's, you know, in high school, it's, uh, you know, everybody knows what high school is like, but then you go to yeah. Yale where you're in a program with everybody who's thinking like you. And it must yes. have such a, a relief almost. It was, you know, my freshman year roommates, one was a football player who wrote poetry. Wow. Another one was a crew guy who was a potter. He created these beautiful art and, and it, it was just so amazing to meet because that's what was hard for me in high school. Mm -hmm. I was an athlete who did theater and was in all the sort of AP classes. And because I was a quote unquote jock, the smart people were like, well, he can't be smart. And because I was in the smart classes, the jocks were, you know, and then because I did theater, I was a theater the F word, which I hate. And I, I just couldn't find a place to fit in college. I was like, everyone is like me here. And this is so great. Everyone has so many things that they can do. And it's, it's weird because once I graduated and moved to New York, I was really um, guided and I, I'm going to say misguided to pick something. And now there's this great uh, respect for multi-hyphenates mm -hmm, sure. and um, I, I wish that I had kind of listened a little more to myself but I put myself in a world I knew very little about yeah. um, you know I yell was incredible but one thing it did not teach me was the business so yeah. I got to New York and I had the skill stuff uh, you know ready to to explore 
but I, I knew nothing about how to do anything yeah. in terms of networking and readings. And I, I did get an agent before I graduated and I started as a performer, which is not something I really wanted to do, but it's, it was my advisor uh, suggested. He's like, you're young, you can sing, you can dance, like yeah. meet people that way that will help you. And so I did that for a handful of years, but I knew, <laughs> so I got the lead in a show called Avenue X. It's this amazing acapella musical set in the fifties. Uh, okay. And it's all like doo-wah, it's like really cool piece. It was originally done at Playwrights Horizons. And I did one of the first regional productions of it. And there I was center stage riffing my face off, but my brain was going, gee, I think I would have lit this differently. <laughs> or, you know, I wonder, I, I, I don't, I'm not, certain of the arc of the score. Like, and yeah. so I was like, I, I do not have the mind of an actor. Yeah. yeah. I much more enjoy the creative, which is what I was doing as a kid, writing musicals and putting them on in my backyard. That's how I liked the, the, the artistic world of my brain to do. So, so tell us a little bit about that first year experience of moving to New York. And like you said, not knowing the business, because there's a lot of people out there yeah. listening and, and just in general, they're not sure what to expect. So maybe, you know, your experience can help them yeah. figure it out. Well, you know, today it's such a different world because of social media, right? The sure. internet. And, and when I graduated college, the internet was, was, you know, doing its thing, but it wasn't used how it is now. I mean, honestly, I was just watching Breaking Bad because I didn't see it originally. And even it though, it, <laughs> even though it's list. only like nine years old or something, yeah. um, I was like, oh, you can tell that this is not current because the way that they're using their phones, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> we get the answer like this. So um, what I ended up doing, so I, I moved there and I, I knew I needed a job, um, but I knew... I've been told not to do things like temping because then you're working nine to five and then you don't have time to do what, it, what you're there to actually do. So I did temp a little bit. And of course I got offered a full-time job because of, you know, it's yeah. computer skill. I was like, yeah, I can do this. Sure. No problem. Oh, you need me to write something? Yeah. I, I write that and I'd give it to them 10 minutes later. And they'd be like, well, do you want to work here? No, <laughs> I do not, but thank you. Um, so I found a really great, job um, singing and sometimes playing at a piano bar in New York City. And that, that is how I learned most because I was suddenly surrounded by people that were older than me that had been working in the in industry for a while. Mm. And I was surrounded by not just performers, but I was surrounded by musical directors, composers, directors as well. Yeah. Um, and that then they started introducing me to people. People would come in and hear me sing, or I would do an original song or something. And it just, that really is how I started to learn the industry. And I found that I was invited to so many things when I was younger versus now that I have an established career. Yeah. When I was younger, it was just easier to get invited to openings and because your friends were interns and they could take somebody. And yeah. so I would do, all that networking. It's weird. I ended up creating and teaching a course on the business of entertainment because I was so like adamant that it's something that I went to an Ivy League school and I did not know how to do this. Do you know what I mean? So like, yeah. so I taught at NYU and then I taught at the New York Film Academy and their professional musical theater conservatory mm -hmm. and sort of created this business 
um, class that that really focused on. It started out with who's who, what is a general manager, what is a producer, what is a lawyer, and just going down. And part of it was to, and I mean this politely, but part of it was to pop the bubble of an actor thinking that they're the most important element of a project. We all are the same, which is, and I that was my big thing. We're all a puzzle piece yeah. of one larger um, conglomerate that hopefully we all have the same goal. Uh, and it was actually in that class, two of my former students who were, were performers from that course realized they wanted to produce and they have since won Tony Awards. Nice. Yes, so, which is amazing. So because of you, they won a Tony Award. That's essentially, yes. right? <laughs> and, you know, it's so nice, like they, and I'm very close with one of them specifically. Yeah. Her name is Yael Silver and she lives in Canada, as a matter of fact. Um, and she, she, when she was even nominated, she took me out and she was like, this is because of you. And I was like, no, it's because of you. And she said, no, but you turned my, my direction. And it's, it's because, and so one of the reasons I teach, um, when, even when I was in college, I hadn't really thought of doing this for a living. I started pre-med. Oh, Wow. And I got into the main stage production of West Side Story. And the director, who was a professional director uh, named Barry Ivan, who I'm still friends with, uh, he said to me one after rehearsal one day, um, hey, I'm directing a couple of shows this summer at a professional theater. Would you audition? Hmm. And I went, for what? He said, for the show, Bobby, what do you mean? I was like, wait a minute. You mean like that would be my job? He said, yes. And I said, oh, wait a minute. So this is your job. I know it sounds like I'm the dumbest person in the world, but I hadn't put together <laughs> yeah. that, you can, that it's actually a job. Yeah. And so because of him, and my high school drama teacher as well. I was really lucky, I had great teachers. I had a, an amazing music teacher in elementary school. Her husband was my teacher in, in high school. And all these, these teachers were really the ones that, that guided me because my family had just, you know, they're all money people, they're business and, and CPA and, and accounting and, and Wall Street and, and um, uh, my other brothers in government and then, there's me <laughs> write sing and write music. And so they, they, you know, beautifully, like right before my dad died, he, he called me and he said, I just want to apologize. I was like, for what? He said, I just did not know what to do with you. You were just so different. And I was like, but look how it turned out. This is great. I'm, I wouldn't change a thing at all. It made me have to do this myself. And I'm really proud of the fact that I did it myself, that I, you know, I didn't come from a family where my dad ran a company and then just gave it to me. Mm -hmm. You know, I saw that I saw the world differently as well and just sought out the things that were just different and interesting to me and who knew it would all work. So that's why I, one of the reasons I teach, I swore to myself that when I had a career that was worth anything that I would try to become uh, 
like an adjunct fac adjunct faculty member of a college. Yeah. And I did college stuff for almost a little over a decade. And then I left that world and I teach now at um, a place called the Professional Performance Prep on the Jersey Shore. And I teach all professional Broadway kids. So I went from college age, I still have a few college students um, through them, but most of my students are about eight to 17. And I love it. I, I did not think I was going to like it. So I went and I did a master class. I do master classes all over the world. And, and I just thought this would be another master class. And there was just something about these kids. And I said, I want to, I want to, I want to leave the college world yeah. and I want to do this. And, you know, kids right before COVID, we had so many kids on Broadway and in national tours and in commercials. And, and even during this pandemic, our students are booking voiceover cartoon work uh, film work left and right. And so that's another really beautiful uh, sort of course pathway that my life took. But it, it was because, like I said, I had great teachers that supported me and I wanted to give back because isn't that the whole point? Isn't that what we're supposed to do? A good teacher can make the biggest difference in the world. And Absolutely. they don't, my, my uh, fiance is a teacher. And I understand they don't get the respect. Teachers do not get the respect they deserve. They work so much harder than anybody realizes. Um, Teachers should be getting the salary of movie stars. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I don't have children. If I put my child in the, the hands of someone that was making a lot more money, yeah. I would know they really want to be there. Yeah, it's, it's, and I would feel, I don't know, there's just something, I just feel so bad for teachers, especially with the past year teaching on Zoom and, yeah. you know, trying to do a class. I just did a master class for a school in Texas, mm -hmm. a high school in Texas. And it was the first time that I had a huge group of students on Zoom and it was only an hour long and they were wonderful. And when I got off that Zoom, I was like, I can't imagine being a teacher doing that all day. Like there's no like personal connection. No. It, yeah, that was a, that was a an eye opening moment for me because I do almost everything one on one. Yeah. As a teacher, so. So let's move on to your, your shows. So what sure. was the first show you wrote, and and when when was that? Was it while you were teaching stuff or? How yeah. So um, after performing for a couple years. Um, and even during performing for a couple of years, I started my own production company in New York City. Mm. So I really, the thing that I focused on most in college was directing and writing. And um, I was so young, no one was gonna hire me to direct anything. So mm. I just got to the point of, I'm just gonna create my own opportunities. So with my best friend from college and then a new best friend that I'd met doing summer stock, we created a, a production company called Ergo Theater Company. And it was through the urging or the support, I should say, of Hal Prince. I had written, this is back in the day, I'd written a, you know, a handwritten letter <laughs> yeah. to Hal Prince, you know, basically telling him that I want to be him. And he called me in for a meeting and I sat down and he said, first thing I have to tell you, I don't have a job for you, hmm. but I really liked your letter and I wanted to meet you. And we started chatting and 
um, he then asked a really good question, which I've been asked a few more times throughout my career. And I share this because this, this really helped me. What do you want? And I hadn't really thought of that. As weird as it sounds, I hadn't thought of what do I want? So I said, I want to create new work. I want to do what you do. And he said, no, there's already me. You just need to be you. I said, I've been toying around with a production company, but everyone keeps telling me I'm crazy. And he turned around and pulled a, um, a post-it off of a bulletin board and he put it in my hand. That, and it said, if I had done what everyone told me to do, I would not be who I am today. And I looked at him and I said, are you telling me that I should start this company? And he turned around, he wrote me a thousand dollar check. And he said, yes, start the company. Wow. And I did. And that really, really catapulted my, my career. Um, I did a production of Personals that I got permission to rewrite the script. And with Charlie Alterman, who's a Broadway musical director, buddy of mine, we like re reorchestrated and sort of rearranged the music. And, and it, through that, I met Steven Schwartz and Alan Menken because they came to the production mm -hmm. and they were so nice. Something that I've really tried to continue in my life of being a mentor to others is lead with kindness. Yeah. But, you know, they, they were just really shocked that I'd taken something that was a complete failure in its original version. But all I did was I brought it into the computer age. Mm -hmm. And so it went from being about newspaper ads to dating in a city through digital stuff. And it just, it really hit for us. We actually were gonna transfer the show, but I Love You, You're Perfect Now Change was running. Yeah. And we actually needed that space. So it just, we just made the decision to all the accolades that we got from it to then just continue doing stuff. And so we were working on original musical after original musical. And I found that I would, and I was directing all of these. Yeah. And I found that with the music, I tended to sit down with the composer. And if someone did this to me today, I would hit them. But I'd be like, I don't know, this doesn't really sound very melodic. Maybe it should go <laughs> up here. And, and um, I then just got to the point of, I think I should find the courage to do this myself. And cause I'd always written like secretly. So the first big opportunity came after personals, the first big opportunity came um, a theater in uh, White River Junction, Vermont called Northern Stage, great theater uh, right near Dartmouth. And I was asked to adapt a Christmas Carol into a play. And I was like, don't you mean musical? And the artistic director was like, uh, we're, we're going to be opening this in eight months. So if you think you can do a musical in eight months, and I was like, well, it should, it sings, it's a Christmas Carol. Yeah. So together with my friend, Angie Benson, we in eight months wrote, I mean, the source material is just so good. So, um, and I think a lot of writers do a Christmas Carol as like an early thing as a writer. And that became their most successful show. And it's since been produced all over America. Um, and that really gave me the, I directed it and I wrote the book, the lyrics and did a lot of the vocal arrangements. And 
it was that really inspired me to to start writing now at the opening night party we were at this beautiful home that had a refurbished um steinway nice. in the early 1900s steinway and i'm not a big drinker so i had a couple drinks so i was feeling a little you know i had some liquid strength in me and i went over to the piano and my best friend who i started my production company with went bobby bobby you don't play the piano and i looked at her and i went yes i do <laughs> she went you do and i sat down and i started playing and everyone came around the piano and someone said what is that and i went oh i wrote it it has words and i started singing and my best friend she sat down next to me and she said you found your thing and i said no i have my thing and she went nope <laughs> you have to share this and so in my early 30s, I sort of reinvented myself. As, and that's why everyone now knows me as Bobby Cronin, the composer. Yeah. And kind of forget that I spent a good 10 to 15 years directing all over the country um, and developing new musicals and winning awards as a director. So it was hard because some people didn't go for it. You know, people are people and they like to see the negatives and things. And, um, but it just gave me the drive to keep going. So then my first um, piece that I wrote uh, all on my own was called Daybreak. Okay. And that won the New Jersey Playwrights Festival and had a production in uh, America in 2012. And then it, on the same day, it opened in London, oh, wow. literally the same day. Um, very different productions. And it was one of those, um, a lot of us are encouraged to do this when we develop a body of work. Because the way that it used to work in New York is that you do concerts so that people can hear your work, producers can come, you comp them, buy them drinks. And then I had all these songs that I'd written and they were like, do you have a show? Sure. <laughs> so I started creating a song cycle that suddenly I was like, well, I want to know more plot. And then I did the thing of like, well, I did this for Christmas Carol. Maybe I can write a plot for the musical. And it ended up winning awards. So I was like, okay, I think, I think I'm going to keep doing this. And then I had gotten a commission a year before that opened for Concrete Jungle. Okay. And, or what became Concrete Jungle. And Oddly enough, all three shows opened on the same night. Daybreak in America, Daybreak in London, Concrete Jungle in London. They all opened the same night. It was insane. That's crazy. <laughs> it was amazing. Wow. And you know, what, what? this is why I always think social media is such a, um, a phony. Like everyone, according to the way it looked on social media, my life was amazing. But what nobody knew is my father was dying. Like literally day after day, I would call and be like, how is he? Is he okay? Yeah. Is he going to? And it was very clear that he, you know, was not going to make it. Um, and so I came back from, I was in London for almost three months. I came back from London and uh, the, the response to Concrete Jungle was so exciting. People wanted a recording. So my British agent was super awesome and he, 
was able to raise enough money and he got me into Andrew Lloyd Webber's studio where his son Nick Webber was my engineer and it was like it's seriously again the dream it was such a dream but yeah. on the outside I was feeling so guilty that I wasn't home helping my father which I think is an important thing to share that everyone you know there's always two sides to somebody's life yeah. um but concrete jungle opened tons of doors and it was shortly after that that I encountered the film Mary and Max. That's where I wanted and to go. Yeah. Just, I was about that. So I was told, you need to watch this film. It's you, Bobby. It is you all over it. Yeah. I was like, oh, what does that even mean? They're like, it even sounds like you. Like the score of the film sounds like something you would write. It's like, uh, fine. Okay. So I watched it at midnight one night. And I did not know anything about it. I didn't know it was claymation. So when it started, I was like, oh, it's a cartoon? Yeah. Why are they telling me to watch this cartoon? Well, the first line came and I was hooked. The music, I was like, this does sound like, like this is really strange. Halfway through, I had this feeling in my gut that this was the one. This, that I just, I, I to this day keep saying, that I know that this is the piece that that will change things. And it has tremendously already changed my financial life a lot. And um, you know, we've won so many awards for it. And we we so I saw the film, was bawling my eyes out at the end, like uncontrollably crying. And my father was still alive. And you know, there's a lot of death in the piece. And I texted my British agent who had been like pushing me to find a movie to adapt. He's like, that's what everyone's doing. You gotta, well, with a British accent, not like I can't do that at all. <laughs> Suddenly he was an American, no, he's British. Um, so I said, I found the film. You have to help me get these rights. And he looked it up and he was like, why would you, what, what? And I said, please just watch it. Yeah. He watched it and he called me the next day and he said, if you can make this work, this could be huge. I said, I think we can create a new form of theater. I said, I know that's lofty, but, but I really think so. And what's amazing is when we did our uh, European premiere in Austria, one of the reviewers said they've created a new form of theater. I cried my eyes out. I was like, that's what I set out to do. Oh, look, someone said so. Another <laughs> critic also said it sucked. So, you know, you got to take that. <laughs> exactly. You got to balance it out. <laughs> but that one, that piece took... Um, you know, usually the, the, the birth of a musical, it takes about 10 years, right? And I had been pretty lucky with some earlier pieces within two to three years, I was getting production. I thought Mary and Max was going to be that a musical that took a long time. And it, it, the, what took the most time was getting the rights. <laughs> yeah. it, took a, it took a lot of convincing because apparently they get rights requests almost weekly. For the for Mary Max specifically, mm -hmm. but no one had ever pitched a musical, so they were interested, and I gave them my pitch. And in my pitch, I I bawled my eyes out. Which afterwards, my agent was like, "I think it worked, but please don't ever do that again." And I was like, "I'm so sorry. I'm just so close to the material. I love it so much." Um, and I think just where I was in life, yeah. It, it really became, and shortly after my dad died, 
And then I just dove into writing and I took all of that pain and sadness and, and regret and um, hope and put it into the score. And it's one that people have heard and they're like, it sounds like you, but it doesn't sound like you. And I was like, is that good or bad? And they're like, no, no, this is, everyone, people have always said, you write great standalone songs. You, yeah. you, can, you can write a song that people just live in for three minutes, four minutes. And, but people didn't really know my score work. And because Mary and Max lives in a couple of different worlds, there are these themes that, you know, so, so it's, it, I got to really use the cerebral musician uh, mixed with the director. So when I met Steven Schwartz, one of the things he said to me, um, he asked, what do you want as well, by the way? Did he? <laughs> and I, I said, I, I'm not so sure. And he said, you know, you're a writer, right? Well, no, I directed that. He's like, no, you you wrote it. Yeah. I was like, no, Marta Kaufman and David Crane wrote it. He's like, yes, but you're a writer. What are you going to write next? So he had been sort of really helpful and um, uh, me thinking what what it is that I want. And, and Mary and Max just sort of, it's everything that I wanted out of it. Using that, oh, that's what I was going to say. Stephen, Stephen gave me some great advice, which is, he had, he told me that he had gone to school to be a director. And he said, and look at what I do now, yeah. but I want you to know, I use my director brain all the time when I write and I want you to use yours as well. If you don't see it, if you don't see how the scene moves, if you don't see how the song is moving, it's not gonna work. Yeah. So make sure to always use that director brain. And that has been incredible advice. Oh, it makes such a difference, right? If you can, as you're writing it and you can block it as you're writing it, you know, somebody else is going to block it differently, but you know, it works. Right? Yes. And it's, it's, is the story moving forward? And I think that's why people, because of the, all the concerts I had to do, people thought of my work as park and bark. Yeah. Sing your face off, make people cry, make people laugh. Right. But they'd never seen my work in sort of storytelling world other than in London. London got to see that in Concrete Jungle. We tried so hard to bring it to America. And, and we, we, the truth of what happened is when my dad died, I'd lost my sense of humor. And Concrete Jungle is a romantic comedy. And we started doing, I brought in Crystal Skillman, who was, is the book writer on Mary and Max. And I asked her if she would help with Concrete Jungle. And she was like, sure, I'd be more of a dramaturg, but you know, I can help you with it. And I just wasn't that in in it. And I picked it back up 2017 because I met uh, this great director at a party, um, Scott Ebersole, and he, he said, hey, whatever happened to your show Concrete Jungle? I love that album. Yeah. I was like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I kind of put it away and I was like, why? <laughs> Would you think of picking it back up? I said, you know what? I'm going to go home and I'm gonna read it. Yeah. And I did, and I, I, being honest, I wept because I realized that I had put it, I, it was just, a, it was a, that show is such a part of me because it's original. It's an original idea. Uh, it's inspired by Cyrano, 
um, but it's, you know, super vulnerable and um, because there's no, you know, Christmas Carol was a lot easier because it's a great book, a novel, yep. and the plot's there for you. The whole yeah. character's journey, right? The hero's journey, it's all there. Concrete Jungle, that, that, that was the challenge for me. And so in putting it away, but then repicking it up, I had grown so much that I was able to right away be like, hole, there's a hole there, there's a hole there, there's a hole there. I gotta fix this, I gotta fix this. And I went to work and worked really hard. And then in 2019, we were set to do a reading and the producers backed out. No. Yep. And I had this insane cast. And I had luckily met a couple of other producers at an off-Broadway show that I wrote a couple of songs for called Camp Morning Wood, which is being revived. Okay. <laughs> it's so silly. But I just wrote the music for a few songs. Their lyrics are already done. A friend of mine uh, created it and just called me. He's like, can you please do this? I was like, sure. Yeah. Um, and they, these producers happened to be at the opening night. And one of my songs for Camp Morning Wood is like the theme that runs throughout. And it it's truly, and I purposely did, it's an, uh, an earworm. It just won't get out of your head. Yes. And so... They came up to me after the show at the opening night party, said, hey, I heard you wrote the score. And I went, no, no, said, you didn't? I said, no, I wrote a couple songs, but like I didn't write the score. They said, oh yeah, you wrote the, the theme song. I said, yeah, and I wrote the finale. And they're like, of course you did. And I was like, all right, what's going on here? They said, we really like your work. Could we read some of your stuff? And so I sent them Mary and Max and they loved it. They weren't ready to jump on it. But when the other producer pulled out of the Concrete Jungle reading, I called them and said, hey, I have this insane cast. I will produce this because I had the experience for my production company, um, but I'm looking for some money. Would you be interested? And they were like, could we read it? I was like, yes, <laughs> of course, yes. They texted me an hour later and said, can we talk? Like, okay. We talked another hour later because they wanted to finish it. And we got on the phone and they said, we want to option this. Wow. I was like, what? Seriously? And they're like, we love this. We are looking for, they've been on a bunch of great Broadway shows, but at, not as lead producers. And they've been looking for pro a project that really spoke to them. And for some, they just loved the idea. They loved the score. Um, they loved the main character. They liked how it fit into today's world. Um, and they optioned it. Wow. And so we were set to have a production in London this past summer. That didn't happen. I mean, Mary and Max was going to have another presentation. That didn't happen. I was set to have a world premiere of my show, Till Death Do Us Part, that won the SDSU uh, New Works Award. That was set to have its world premiere. They had already been building the sets. Jeez. And then I was set to have another production in the Midwest and a huge concert in London. So that was a... <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just, in it's interesting that the sort of journey that the pieces take. Mary and Max got 
a production offer only three years into its development. Um, it, it, Mary Max just happens to be such a universal piece of theater. Mm. Um, it's about love, loss, family, connection, the need for connection. Um, and I don't think that will ever go away, no, no matter what time period we put it in. And um, luckily it's already set in a time period, set in the seventies and uh, well, it begins in the seventies. And to make Mary and Max into a musical, we had to do some, uh, it uses a narrator in the film, voiceover. Yeah. And you just can't do that in theater. No. So Crystal and I, we tried a few things. Our production in Canada, our world premiere in Canada was one version. And while we thought it was a beautiful production, it wasn't right. We knew that there was something missing both in the visual world and in the, the writing world. Mm -hmm. And so we, I, I had this crazy idea. I pitched it to Crystal. Crystal took it and ran with it and turned it into the thing that then the same producers on Concrete Jungle, when we did a presentation on Zoom, maybe four months ago, three months ago now, we did a presentation on Zoom. They asked if they could come because it was for my agent. He just wanted to hear the pieces out loud. Um, they called immediately after and said, we're optioning this. We're ready. The piece is ready. We are ready. So we created a, a we put a storyline, a modern storyline on top of the, the existing film. We sort of like, um, uh, what does Crystal call it? Um, uh, uh, I can't remember the name of the, uh, I am your father, uh, Princess Bride. Um, yes. We sort of Princess Brided it in terms of we gave it a starting point and a reason for the story to be told and a reason for someone to be telling it. That was very necessary because in Canada, we didn't really have it. It was more like a fable and it, it, just, it just, so when it ended, that was it. The Mary goes to see Max, I don't wanna give away the ending. It's not very hopeful, boom, the end, which is how the film ends. But in a musical, you need more than that. Yeah. So we we just crafted the story of a guy telling his daughter, set today, telling his daughter who has locked herself in her room on the day of her mom's funeral. And he is telling her this story, reading this book. Then she's like, what you think that, she's 13 and she's like, oh yeah, you think some like children's story is gonna make me feel better and make me wanna come out of my room, it's never gonna happen. And yeah. he's like, well, this is really not some kid's story. This is really for adults. She's like, it is, what is, what is it? And then there's tons of twists that we put in. And you know, before we did all this, I wanted to make sure that the, the film creator was okay with this. Cause we were really, yeah, really adapting instead of taking the film, like with Pretty Woman, they took the Pretty Woman, they put songs in it, right? Legally Blonde, boom, songs. This was, we are adding a whole new storyline to this piece. And when I pitched it to him, he was amazing. There was silence, I was like shaking. And he swore, he said, the F word. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? I was like, yes. I was like, do you like it? And he said, yes, I'm gonna actually think, keep this in my brain for my future work. Hmm. Because Claymation needs voiceover. Yeah. And he said, but 
what you've done is give a reason for the voiceover. But in your world, because it's staged, we got to see it. So that was a nice uh, puzzle that we had to figure out. So when we did our uh, European premiere, because we had won an award in Germany, like this international award, we won the Critics Award. And there was an artistic director at that event. And he asked if the, his theater in Austria could do the European premiere. I'm like, absolutely. And when we saw that production, and it was this new version, Crystal and I, we could not believe, it was one of the most, it was probably the most amazing moment of my life. Wow. Sitting in that theater and seeing this crazy idea work in a different language as well. <laughs> wow. But to hear the audience responding, to hear these beautiful orchestrations and the sets and costumes were mind blowing. And it sort of just solidified that we were in the right, going in the right direction with the piece. And then shortly after did that reading on Zoom and now we have Broadway producers. Wow, well, congratulations on Thank all you. that stuff. That's fantastic. Thank you. So, so I'd love to know with all the stuff that got canceled over the yeah. last 18 months, what have you been doing with yourself now that you don't have to worry about those, you know, as terrible as that is losing them, it's freed up your time. So what, what have you been doing with yourself? Eating. <laughs> <laughs> and that's um, the end of the interview. That's where we can delete that. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be honest. That's just the type of person I am. It was, it was, it was really hard. Mm. I got very depressed. Yeah. I started thinking like, what's the point? Why even bother? Why did I work so hard? Another like giant roadblock. Everyone's going to die. And it just... Uh, and I'm not really a big drinker, as I mentioned earlier. So yeah. I turned to food and I, I gained almost 50 pounds. I've lost more than half of it and I'm working on the, the rest of it, but I just, it, it's how I coped. Uh, it's funny in, it's so funny. I just said that in Austria, they wanted a tagline for Mary and Max. And it, so what we did was Mary and Max, how people cope or how we cope, something like that is what we came up with. And it's really, that is true. It's what the piece is about. How do you cope with stuff? So I coped with eating or by eating. Um, but no, in truth, I, um, I taught a lot. And what's really cool is I have this piece called Psy Kids that was a commission by a class act in New York for a TYA, Theater for Young Audiences. Mm -hmm. And um, we were supposed to do like a presentation, a stage presentation at the prep where I teach um, with our incredible students. And that couldn't happen. Many of our students, because of COVID, lost their Broadway debut. Some of them got the lead in their school play as like a freshman or, um, you know, their school, everything got canceled. So the heads of the prep said, what could we do? What could we do with the show? And it's like, well, I'm seeing these things on Zoom. And they were like, mm, I don't know. And then they have a videographer that they use for like self tapes and stuff. And he came into the discussion and he said, well, I think we could make a movie. Hmm. I was like, how? And so we brainstormed on how do we do this? And we did it. Nice. So the last nine months of my life, well, that's not true. The last year 
has been once we made the decision, which was I think May, we made the decision that this is what we're going to do in August. We're going to film. So all of May, all of June, I orchestrated and created tracks for there's something like 33 songs. They're short because wow. they're TYA. So, you know, I think the longest song is three minutes. Mm -hmm. The rest of them are like two. Um, but still, that's a lot of material. A lot of work, yeah. And, you know, get the sheet music all set, get the tracks all set. And so that took a few months. Then we did auditions. And then we did some rehearsal. Um, and, but we were really rehearsing while I was filming. So we had a musical direct, two musical directors working with the, and we still were not sure how this was gonna work, but it gave us all a purpose, including the kids, the students. It really gave them, um, you know, one of our leads um, was in Harry Potter. Um, Another lead was about to make his debut in Harry Potter. Another was in Frozen. So, you know, we have really talented uh, performers in it. And so what we did was I was on Zoom. They used an, on Zoom on like the, usually their iPad. They used their iPhone as the camera. Mm -hmm. They all had to get uh, blue screens or green screens. And I would read all the other characters for them. So they would have something to respond to. And everything is with an earbud. I made the choice to not hide them yeah. because I wanted it to be clear that we did this in quarantine. Because uh, this was still at the point where like you really weren't supposed to be leaving your house. Yeah. So, um, so we spent a month filming and then that finished the very end of August, and we just released the film uh, two weeks ago. Wow. And it's really cool. It's, it, it, it became my life, but thank God I had something, you know? Gave you um, and, and, and something to focus on, right? Yes, and for, I, what was hard though is, you know, the students had only a, like a month of, of, of it. And then they're like, when's it coming out? When's it coming out? When's it coming out? <laughs> so I would like release little teasers on social media so they could see what it is that we are doing. Yeah. And they, because everyone had been seeing, you know, and there's nothing wrong with these Zoom musicals, but we didn't want little boxes of people. So we created this world that, and it, luckily it happens to be about um, kids with psychic abilities and they go into these different realms and it's sort of like Stranger Things meets Goonies. <laughs> and so we were able to use cool, the, the video guy just has this amazing software that he, it's super detailed. And so what we had to do is we had to stitch together 19 actors of a 76 minute film. Wow. Yeah. So it was, ah, at times. <laughs> oh, and because we weren't in a studio, we were dealing with people that have high ceilings, so the sound would bounce. And so, and I did all the sound editing and I scored it. And, but I would never have been able to do this had COVID not happened. Yeah. And I'm not saying I'm glad COVID happened because I'm not, no. but in trying to, I always try to find a positive in something. And that's, you know, I would never have done this. This morning we were having a meeting, putting it up on IMDb. And, and I was like, oh my God, this is really cool. 
you know, I have tons of things of me scoring on IMDb, but I have nothing of me of something I've actually written fully, all of, because I wrote the book, music and lyrics for the piece. Yeah, yeah. And the pandemic has, it, it's been awful, but if we can take those little gems of what we've learned and we've, we've taken a step back with all the theaters closing, but what we've learned, we're gonna be able to take two steps forward. And once we go back live, we'll still, we'll know how to do that. But now we have these other things in our in bag of tricks. Yes, yes. And I learned, I mean, I spent so much time on uh, music software that it's now like second nature yeah. for me. And, you know, I wish I could go back and, and almost, I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, almost redo some of it because yeah. I was like, oh, this, mm, I know how to fix that now. Because I ended up buying more and more software to be like, yeah. oh, God, you could hear that person's air conditioner. Ugh, what do I do? Oh, look, there's software that removes hums. Hmm, let me try this. Oh, look, the, you can't really hear it anymore. Yeah. So, but it was, it really was incredible. And um, we ended up um, premiering it at the Count Basie Theater in Jersey, uh, which is a movie theater. And so we had like a red carpet and we had photographers there and we wow. did interviews. So like those that could be there, because not all of the actors live in Jersey. Like we had some in um, Alabama, oddly. Yeah, so the school that I teach at has become, because of COVID as well, we're now um, uh, a lot online as well as in person. Yeah. And so we have now students, we have students in Mexico, Italy, we have students all over the world now. That's fantastic. Great, yeah. I love it. Take take the negative and, and, and make it something positive. Right? Absolutely. So, congratulations on everything you've done. Thank um, you. You know, before and now, and, and for everything in the future. Um, you said, uh, well, we were talking off offline that you just done your first live. Um, how was that, yes. that experience that first time back in like 18 months of, of nothing and then being in that theater again? So <clears throat> I was nervous, which I don't remember being so nervous. I used to be, oh, it's just another, I'm just, you know, getting up and playing some songs. It's fine. It's fine. But this, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be in a room with people. I also was, um, I shared the evening with Jelani Remy, who is one of the most talented, kind Broadway performers I've met. And he actually did a reading of Concrete Jungle, which is how we met. And he's just so wonderful. And um, so, you know, I played for him and then I would sing. He did one of my songs and it, the thrill of the evening, I forgot like why I do it. You know, it's that, it's that high. Yeah. It's, it's, it's connecting with an audience. What I kept saying throughout the night is I'm so used to singing to my camera. I've yeah. gotten so used to it. And then to actually open up my field of vision to a huge room of people, it, it really was special. And my mom came and one of my brothers who hasn't really seen me perform very much, he came, uh, one of my best friends came. It was just, it was people that I hadn't seen in forever from high school came and it, it was really cool. Wow. Yeah, it, that, that, now that we see the light at the end of the tunnel, it's gonna be, there's gonna, it's gonna be so much excitement. Yes. And then, and then in a year, we'd be like, oh, yeah, we've done this already. <laughs> We're on stage. Well, 
<laughs> you know, it's interesting. Something that COVID taught me is I don't have to say yes to everything. I've learned from this that there are things I don't like doing. And if I were to die tomorrow, I would, I would want to know, like, I did what I wanted to do instead of I did what I thought people wanted me to do, or I did what would please such and such producer and so-and-so. And as we're learning, they're not usually very nice. My producers are amazing DDM productions. I love them. They are very wonderful men who understand and respect how I see my work, something that I'm extremely passionate about and have been from the beginning of my career is I don't want to write white stories. I, I, I was the first white guy ever in my singing group in college. And so I have been seeing the world very differently for most of my life. Yeah. And I feel like people are only starting that journey. And so that's something that, you know, even in casting, specifically in casting, um, Daybreak, for instance, in New York, we did um, this big benefit production of it at the Gay and Lesbian Center. And there are four characters and I cast a black woman, a black man, uh, an Asian man and a white woman. And I remember people being like, well, that's really brave of you to be doing. I'm like, what do you mean? They were the perfect people for it. Like, I don't, I don't know. Well, isn't she supposed to be so-and-so's daughter? Yeah, but like what, you're just, you're seeing the world wrong. Mm -hmm. A white man and a black woman can have a child that is men, you know, it's, it, I just get very confused. And so it's something with these producers that they, I'm very clear, Concrete Jungle cannot be cast more than one quarter white, or I will not move forward with a production. Just because it's set in New York City. And my New York City is this beautiful, multicultural, multi-gendered, multi-physical ability world. And that's what I want. That's what I want my legacy, whatever that word even means to be, is that I don't, I'm not interested in the way it was. Yep, I agree. And I'm grateful and hopeful that we can keep moving forward in this way. Bobby, thank you so much for coming and talking to us today. and and then telling us about your show, yourself, and, and words of wisdom. And that's a great place to, to end an interview on. Yes. If that yes. But we're not quite done. <laughs> I, have, I always ask my guests three questions because we want to get okay. to know you a little bit better, a little bit okay. deeper into you. Um, there's no right or wrong answers, but to one of them is going to tell us a little bit more about you. In okay. a good or bad way, I don't know. We'll find <laughs> out. So question number one is, what creator or team within musical theater has had a great influence on in you? You know, it could be a composer, lyricist, director, actor, stage manager, or it could be somebody famous, not famous, like a teacher. Um, is there anybody who's, you know, helped you and touched you in a career and let you, you know? Well, as I mentioned in earlier, Hal Prince, Stephen Schwartz, Alan Menken. Yeah. But in terms of like whose work I really like, bow down to Aaron's and Flaherty. Stephen Flaherty also, even when I was in college, I wrote him a letter and he wrote me back. And he was my mentor when I won something at the York. And he's, so I, but I happen to just, I love what they write. Yeah, nice, correct answer. Can't go wrong with <laughs> any of those answers, but good. All right, question number two. 
if you were to uh, receive a letter, just like you sent out, um, and somebody new was asking you for your, your advice on stuff, what kind of short one, you know, couple of word sentence would you give them? Just like you got from, from Hal Prince or, or Stephen Schwartz. Figure out what it is you want. And every decision you make should go back to, is this helping me get what I want? Nice. Took me too long to figure that one out, but. (laughs) Well, as a sidebar to that question, if this was sent to you, what would be easier and better for you? If somebody sent it in an email or a written letter, if they took the pen and wrote it down. They took the pen and wrote it down. I would want to meet them because that's really cool. I do get, you know, I'm, I'm grateful. I get lots of emails asking for advice, asking. Yeah what is this song about things like that and i always engage because if someone took the time to reach out to me yeah but but it's something different about receiving a physical letter where they that, actually that's what mary and max is about yeah they write letters to each other so and I, when they get it they can touch it and they can hold it and they smell it and feel it and it is it is a substitution for the actual person yeah. versus a computer screen yeah and, and i think that's a good advice to anybody if you want to you know, talk to somebody or get to know them better. Do that little bit of extra. And I, yeah, yeah. when's the last time you had an, something in the mail that was for you that was personal? Like, that's a thank you card. I got a, yeah. a very nice thank you card from someone that I helped. Nice. And it's, it's so different. Than it just- makes a huge difference. Yeah. Cool. So double correct answer to what two points for that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and finally, the most important question maybe food in the theater or cell phones in the theater? What is worse? Neither should be in the theater. <laughs> I, I put a post out recently that, that said, dear theater producers, when we come back to Broadway, please stop serving drinks with ice and candy with wrappers. Yeah. I saw my friend in Miss Saigon, my God, he was so amazing as Chris, he was just incredible. But um, uh, all of the second acts, the guy across from me, all I heard, <laughs> Kim is like singing her heart out, weeping, and he's, oh, it was driving me insane. And I happen to have a disorder called misophonia. Yeah. Which is, it's a sound thing where, um, there's actually a great documentary on it, where it ignites the same part of your brain as anger. So it's like mouth sounds, uh, chewing, uh, people that click their fingernails, knuckle cracking. Mm. It's like, no matter what is happening on a stage, all I can do is this. <laughs> and I spend the time watching that person. It's cr- I thought it was crazy. And yeah. then I found out that it has a name. Wow. Misophonia, misophonia, yes. Uh, that was the correct answer, the perfect answer, neither. Get rid of them both. <laughs> Get rid of you them both. You have got like six points out of three in this <laughs> round. So congratulations. Yay. That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, Bobby, again, Thank you so much for coming on and taking some time and, and talking. Thank to you. Us. And thank you for everything that you do. I we really that. appreciate you. Uh, I, my pleasure. All right. So we were just speaking with uh, Bobby Cronin, uh, the writer of Mary and Max and Concrete Jungle and a number of other shows. Make sure you check out his stuff. Go online and uh, learn more about him. Uh, tune in next week as we'll be talking with another guest or guests about their life, love and passion. That is musical theater. I am your host, as always, Jean-Paul Yovanoff. And until next time. I'll see you when I see you.